and welcome to the Powerhouse Politics Podcast. I'm Jonathan Carl, Chief White House Correspondent for ABC News. And I'm Rick Klein, Political Director at ABC News. Rick, we're here on Capitol Hill on the day of Donald Trump's much-anticipated meeting between uh, Reince Priebus, Paul Ryan, Trump, of course, himself, and then he's now meeting with the Senate leadership. Uh, Quite a day, quite a circus here on Capitol Hill. A lot of anticipation for this moment because, of course, Paul Ryan has not endorsed him. Paul Ryan got all of this started a week ago with uh, stunning much of the political world, saying he's not ready to endorse, even though Donald Trump is the the, the prohibitive uh, favorite. Of course, he is going to be the nominee. No one doubts that anymore. He doesn't have any competition. But that word endorsement has not escaped Paul Ryan's lips, and that has, uh, has created this extraordinary series of meetings. Uh, and the, the watchword is, is unity, but not quite endorsement. They're not quite all on the same page yet. It is a process, according to Paul Ryan. They're not there yet. So despite some productive meetings, by all accounts, those kind of canned statements you'd, you'd expect out of meetings like this, there is not that, uh, that, that much anticipated full unity with all of the Republican leaders on Capitol Hill saying that they will definitely support the Republican nominee for president. Okay, we're going to cover all angles on this. Uh, Very shortly, we'll be talking to Congressman Darrell Issa of California, uh, who has supported Donald Trump. We're also going to be talking uh, to Rick Wilson, who is leading the effort to try to get a third party conservative candidate to run against Trump and Hillary Clinton. But before we get to Congressman Issa, I want to play for you. I just came from the press conference uh, that Paul Ryan had right after his meeting with Donald Trump. And I asked him the big question. So, Mr. Speaker, I read that statement as well, and I'm still up a little confused. Are you endorsing Donald Trump? Look, if you're not, what is holding you back? And do you really have a choice? I mean, what, you're the, not voting for Hillary Clinton. The, endorsing the process of, of unifying the Republican Party, which just finished a primary about a week ago, perhaps one of the most divisive primaries in memory, takes some time. Look, there are people who are for Donald Trump, who are for Ted Cruz, or for John Kasich, who are for Marco Rubio and everybody else. And it's very important that we don't uh, fake unifying, we don't pretend unification, that we truly and actually unify so that we are full strength in the fall. I don't want us to have a fake unification process here. I want to make sure that we really truly understand each other and that we are committed to the conservative principles that make the Republican Party, that built this country. And again, I I, I'm very encouraged. I I heard a lot of good things from our presumptive nominee, and we exchanged differences of opinion on a number of things that, you know, everybody knows we have. There are policy disputes that we will have. There's no two ways about it. Plenty of Republicans disagree with one another on policy disputes, but on core principles. Those are the kinds of things that we discussed. And again, I'm encouraged. All right. So there's Paul Ryan explaining, I think, uh, that he's not quite endorsing Donald Trump yet, but uh, sure seems to be headed in that direction. So we are joined now by Congressman Daryl Issa. Congressman Issa, thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on, and and thanks for uh, covering what is, in fact, uh, the first day of the unification of the Republican Party. <laughs> so let me ask you about that. You, you you know this place as well as anybody, and you're a you're a true conservative Republican. Uh, you've you've known Paul Ryan for for a long time. What exactly is going on here? Why is Ryan still holding back? I understand a lot of nice words about unification, but what is keeping him from just saying that he is going to endorse the Republican nominee? Well, I think Paul Ryan, we could talk about a lot of other people who were day after day coming on yesterday, seven chairmen from the Republican Party, 
uh, a host of others. Uh, a few minutes from now, Ken Calvert will announce. We're, there's a process that people are going through. The focus on, if you will, the president of the convention is one that, uh, obviously, when he says it, it matters. But let's remember, he also has to officiate over an event that has an awful lot of sort of pomp and circumstance, including the idea that the person officiating is, is really supposed to be a neutral. So uh, I do expect that uh, Speaker Ryan will endorse. Uh, he may quite well wait until the party has endorsed and make it unanimous there. Uh, but that's one position. That's the, that's the Speaker who happens to be president of the convention. Uh, I think it's, it's much more uh, significant to, to look at the uh, thousands of people around the country, and I'll just take my home state of California, we have former members uh, like Doug Osi, extremely moderate member. We have Duncan Hunter, quite conservative member. People in between coming out, uh, and actually many of them becoming delegates. So uh, the unity is continuing. I know the story is on the president of the convention and speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, but I think the unity began today with a meeting, uh, one in which Donald Trump undoubtedly told uh, Speaker Ryan that on some issues he wasn't conservative enough. And Paul Ryan probably told Donald Trump that on some issues uh, the Republican 218-plus members were not going to necessarily follow him to where he said he had to go. But you know what? That happens with every piece of legislation that any of us offer. But how, how concerned are you about what it's going to mean to tie the fate of, of your party, of the Republican Party, to Donald Trump? I mean, let's just take, you know— Let's just take one issue, the, uh, the, the, the Muslim ban, um, which Ryan himself has spoken out so forcefully of as being not, not just wrong, but, but un-American. Well, you know, if it was a Muslim ban, it would be un-American. If okay, temporary a, Muslim ban, let's be clear. But, a, but, but, but it, well, it is a Muslim ban. I mean, he, he said he wants to ban Muslims from coming into this country until we, quote, figure out what's going on. I mean, that's, that's, a, religiously, that's a religious test for whether or not to allow people into the I, country. I, I hear what you're saying, and I heard his words directly. And uh, what, I, what I see and hear uh, is shortcut for we don't trust the vetting process that gave us, for example, two Iraqis with blood on their hands sitting in Kentucky already admitted uh, to the United States permanently uh, with a process that didn't catch the fact that they were murderers. So uh, th- this is a concern, and I think we can, we can take what Mr. Trump said, and we can ask it back. Do you really have an objection to Muslims? Yes or no. Or do you have an objection to people who might be terrorists and a process that is broken, finding out who should be allowed to come as a refugee versus a threat to America. I'm sure that Mr. Trump, and he hasn't been asked this, I don't think, but I'm sure if he was asked those questions, he would say, well, it's not about religion, it's about vetting. Uh, So I think as Republicans, we can explain that securing the border, sometimes codenamed build the wall, what Mr. Trump said versus we need to have a robust system to ensure that people that come into our country, including people claiming asylum, are really in need of asylum and not a risk to America. So when somebody like uh, Donald Trump, who's been a successful businessman but not a politician, runs, it's inevitable that what he wants to express and how he expresses it will not be the norms of politically correct behavior. But I suspect if you went back and, and listened to the, 
the, the statements of Ulysses S. Grant or Andy Jackson, famous generals who came in who were not particularly politically correct, uh, you would be aghast. And yet their contribution uh, is well, well seen in history. So, so to be clear then, I mean, what he, he said he called for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States. You need to you need to see a policy that doesn't match those words. That he need to dial back those words to match a policy that would be more in line with what you, as a member of Congress and you, as an American, can get behind. You know, today we we breaking news: the president's unlawful redistribution of money, spending money not appropriated on Obamacare, uh, simply because he wanted his way. Uh, we've been fighting an administration that does whatever they want to do. Donald Trump has never said, I'm going to do everything by executive fiat. What he said, he's coming to Washington and he wants to change it, and that includes working with Congress. And since much of what Donald Trump says he wants to accomplish in the way of policies, including securing our borders, including uh, policies that revitalize our economy, including immigration reform to end some programs that he's even used but said are stupid or not working properly, those will be areas in which House Republicans and Senate Republicans are going to have to lead with him to accomplish it. So, Congressman, I understand the point you make about Congress not necessarily endorsing what the president, what any president or any candidate says, but do you accept right now Donald Trump as the leading voice of the Republican Party, at least for the six months uh, the, up to the election? Or do you need to see changes before you're comfortable saying he is the guy and he is the, the voice of the party? He is not the voice of the party. He is a voice. His voice is the voice of the man who we will put, put before the voters to be president of the United States. He will be put there to control one branch out of three of government and influence the other two. Paul Ryan is our speaker, and I expect he will be our speaker in the next Congress, and he will be an, a co-equal voice. The press doesn't always treat it that way, but a co-equal voice, and he will speak for the legislative branch uh, in an in a, in a, in a elected way that is every bit as important. And so uh, as a House member, as a, as a member of this body, um, I've endorsed uh, Donald Trump, I'll be a delegate for him, and I look forward to helping make him the next president. But at the same time, holding the next president accountable is Paul Ryan's job, it's Daryl Ice's job, uh, it's Nancy Pelosi's job. We cannot just hand over anything to one person. We're not that kind of government. Our republic requires checks and balances. So, uh, yes, I appreciate that he will be a spokesman, but Paul Ryan takes very seriously, as I do, the fact that we are a separate co-equal and that he, when Donald Trump is president, he will face some of the same pushback from time to time. Uh, happy to negotiate, happy to work with, but uh, we will treat him as a co-equal just as I hope he will treat us as a co-equal. My, my read of the Constitution is a little bit different than that. I wouldn't see him as a uh, as a, the Speaker of the House as a co-equal to the President of the United States. He, he's the head of one half of one branch. And he's, can, uh, and he's one of 435 that, uh, in that. Uh, you know, I appreciate how you're saying that. We are co-equal bodies. And uh, it, it ultimately, every member of the House has a co-equal uh, obligation. Uh, we're not kidding ourselves. It takes uh, 218 in one House and 60 in the other, yeah. effectively, just to send something to the president. And it takes supermajorities to overcome his objections. But uh, the Constitution and the Federalist Papers 
very clearly gave us op- obligations that are separate. We're not a team, uh, and uh, I look forward to helping this man become president and working with him. But we're not a team, and we're not a rubber stamp. So today you covered uh, uh, Speaker Ryan, and uh, Speaker Ryan speaks not for everybody, but he's been elected to express as best he can the broad spectrum of, of the House of Representatives. And I think he does that very well. Uh, and it's the reason he came with Donald Trump, who pledged that he was coming here to create unity, and he's doing it. But he, he came here also to have these discussions about how we fashion uh, a fall that leads to a House majority, a Senate majority, and a president who then can help uh, bring our party back to, or not our party, our country back to an economic plus and deal with uh, ISIS, which now occupies all or part of 22 so, nations. So he's got a big decision coming up. He's got to pick a running mate. Uh, g- give us the Daryl Issa list of, of uh, who we should consider. You know, the conventional wisdom always is you pick somebody who covers your political wing and can, can bring a state. So... Uh, uh, John Kasich always comes up on that short list because he can deliver Ohio a swing state. Uh, I still believe Marco Rubio or even Jeb Bush could bring Florida. So uh, there are a lot of those decisions. Uh, one of the things that a really wise president, uh, and we've had a couple of them, is they also bring somebody who has a skill set that they don't have. Uh, George W. Bush bringing in Dick Cheney brought a man in that knew an awful lot that George W. Bush didn't know. Um, And even Ronald Reagan bringing in George Herbert Walker Bush brought in somebody with tremendous uh, experience. So you balance all of those. The list goes from one side to the other of many, if not most, well, actually most, of those 17 people that once stood on the the podium all wanting to be president. There's There's a lot there to choose from. So, Congressman, before we let you go, and we appreciate you joining, before we let you go, is there any situation where Paul Ryan could sit out this election and say, I am not going to endorse anyone and still remain as the Speaker of the Republican House? Well, those are two questions. Uh, Could he still remain the Speaker of the House if he did any number of things? I suspect so. He has a strong hold on the Speakership. Uh, we, We elected him in spite of his reluctance to take the job because he was the person we wanted. Um... On the day that that we as a party come together and formally choose uh, uh, Donald Trump as our standard bearer, on that day, I expect and I'm confident that Speaker Ryan either will have or will support the nominee with an endorsement. And I think that's where where you look at it is there is a process. He's going through that process. Um, I know that everyone wants to make controversy, um, but uh, Paul Ryan is going to be a unifier, and that will include the endorsement of Donald Trump, not later than the third day of the convention. All right. We heard it here. Daryl Issa, Republican of California, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. We're going to flip across the country and across the ideological spectrum, at least when it comes to Trump, and talk to Rick Wilson, veteran Republican strategist who is now actively involved in efforts to, to try to get a third-party candidate uh, into this race, a conservative candidate. So walk us through this. But, but first, bottom line, will there be a conservative alternative to Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton on the ballot in most, if not all, states this fall? I believe that there will be. Um, and I believe that I believe that the ballot access problems are the least of the worries of the of the third party folks who are advocating for a third party. 
those those are solvable problems. They're complicated, but they're not particularly hard problems. Uh, and I think we'll end up in a situation where we do see somebody who is who is a, a conservative alternative to 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 Trump and 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 Mrs. Clinton uh, come come November. So who's the somebody? Okay, so I, I understand. That's a good well, question, right? Yeah, I, I, I was just thinking the same thing. <laughs> who's the somebody? Yeah, that that is certainly the question, Rick, and that is certainly something that we that that, that the folks who who, who recognize um, that that Donald Trump is a fatally flawed candidate and that Hillary Clinton is the, is is for, for Republicans and conservatives essentially Christ. Um, you know, we recognize that, that that finding that 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 person to pick up the mantle in the third party who is also electable and compelling and has a great personal narrative and all these things. It's a difficult lift. That is a lot harder than the ballot access questions by an, by an order of magnitude. All right, let's let's get to the names. What do you got? Well, look, my, my personal favorite, and he, he declined to, to, to jump into this particular rodeo, was, was General Jim Mattis. I think he would have been absolutely a, uh, a home run as a, as a, as a middle path. Okay, he's uh, out. He said no, though. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of people are talking to Ben Sass right now. And I think Ben's got a very strong Republican uh, senator from uh, Nebraska right now. Um, you know, he is he is a conservative in in every meaningful way. He's also a guy who doesn't scan as uh, um, you know somebody who is simply a partisan spoiler because he's not and wouldn't be. Um, but I, uh, I, you know, look, I freely admit that we're that, that, that finding a third party candidate on the conservative wing who is also electable nationally, who is also uh, willing to go and, and stand in the in, in the fire that will come at them from the Trump world and from and from the the uh, DC establishment of the Republican Party is a difficult lift. No one's ever said that this is something you know uh, trivial or easy or or, um, or 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 done lightly. So, so, so and, and uh, there are other folks that are being talked to, but I prefer not to to to, to out them quite yet. Because I think, uh, like Heisenberg, we sort of spoil the experiment if we look at it too closely. <laughs> yeah, so, so there's an argument, and, I, and I'm, I'm sure you, you don't you don't buy it. You, you suggested you don't that all that a third party conservative candidate does is is tank the Republican Party's chances of winning because they would peel votes away, I guess, from the Republican nominee. But 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 putting that aside, do you think it is better for the party for the Republican Party or? Let's put it this way. Do you think it is better for conservatives if Hillary Clinton wins and then you're able to regroup, come back, and fight for real in 2020? Or is it better for conservatives if Donald Trump wins? I'm, I, I'm just just take, make this a binary choice for right now. What, yeah, what, uh, what, I, is, I, what is better I, for I believe, conservatives? Yeah, as much as I believe that a Hillary Clinton presidency will be an outright disaster on almost every conceivable axis, there's only one worse outcome, and that is Donald Trump destroying conservatism, destroying the Republican Party, losing the Senate, and putting us in a position where where this mythical um, this mythical number of, of new white voters he's going to bring into the system on paper uh, loses us our, our our ability to talk to. Uh, Hispanic voters, women, college-educated professionals, and a whole bunch of other demographics for a very long time. I think the road back, um, I think the road back would be would be worse than the Goldwater path back, uh, and it would require something 
that if Trump was a victor, it would require an even harder reset inside the party than we're already going to have to make. And we're going to have to do a pretty hard reset uh, when all this is over on a whole bunch of areas that we've that we've we've learned that, you know, may appeal to a, a slice of the Republican demo, but that 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 are absolute voter repellent to to an awful lot of the Republicans and 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 to almost every other spectrum of voter out there. I mean, so, so, uh, we've always talked about, you know, it's a, it's a mistake to conflate independent voters with being moderates, but an awful lot of these independent voters are, are kind of moderate. They're not, um, they're not uh, as hard into punitive immigration rhetoric and punitive, you know, anti-Muslim rhetoric and punitive, um, you know, uh, thinly veiled uh, uh, racial dog whistles. Uh, as Trump is comfortable using and as a, as a big part of his base wants him to be. I mean, the, the, the so, people that want a white race warrior are largely <laughs> unelectable in Fairfax County, Virginia, and Bucks County, Pennsylvania, and Gwinnett, Alabama, uh, Gwinnett George, County, Georgia, and, and on and on and on and on. So it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to make that math work if you've got Trump as the nominee. Hillary will actually unify the Republican Party pretty quickly because if there's something we all hate, it's the Clintons. <laughs> and, and, no and, and if we are able to preserve the Senate, um, we will have a, a mighty force against her agenda um, from day one. We'd be in a, we'd be in a pre-2010 position rather than a, than a pre-2006 position. So, Rick, let's talk nuts and bolts here, because, as you know, time is short. Some of the ballot access, mm -hmm. but Texas's deadline has already passed. We're now in the middle of May. Whoever this is is going to have to, you know, pick up at a, you know, in the midst of a, of a campaign that has already begun. Uh, that w what have you put in place? I know you've been talking to others. You know, Bill Kristol has been very vocal on this front. But what what is in place for this person that you think is going to emerge? What has already been done? What's the work that's happened behind well, the scenes? Well, I, I, I will say this without betraying uh, too many confidences. I will say this: uh, if if we find the right person, um, there there that person will be funded adequate to the task of waging a, a general election contest because there are an awful lot of people in the donor community who, if they, if the, the, the handful that have come out and endorsed Trump are by no means um, the largest or the most compelling folks in that, in that, in that world. Um, there are a lot of people that are very strongly interested in, in finding a way that we can preserve a conservative candidate that preserves a conservative majority in the Senate. Um, so they'll have the, the resources the ability to get yourself home on on ballot access again these are these are problems that have you know a, a fair number of steps and they're, they're somewhat complex they're just not that hard though um, you know there, there are there are ways to get third party ballot access even in states where the deadline is passed there are legal venues uh, to, to request access from the courts that have traditionally been successful when tested and applied um, and, and and there are certainly a large number of Republicans, 65% of the people that have cast a vote in a Republican primary caucus this year have done so against Donald Trump. Now, some of those folks are going to go to him. Some of those folks are going are to settle for Trump. But that's because right now they don't have a conservative alternative before them who can provide them with, with, uh, with answers on how you preserve the Republican and conservative movement uh, without it being simply a Hillary operation. Because no one in the Never Trump movement is a fan of Hillary Clinton. So it's, you know, it's a common and sort of shabby argument. Oh, you just want Hillary, but no one in the Never Trump movement is a fan of Hillary Clinton. No one in the Never Trump movement is is is, is, is loves the thought of President Hillary Clinton. 
but we just see the damage Donald Trump will do to the party over the long haul as worse than what four years of, of, of Mrs. Clinton would be uh, in, in, in the White House. Rick Klein, you, you are my witness on this, but when we went through that whole circus about signing the pledge and will Trump sign the pledge, and even when you know the famous hand-raising hand about running as, a, as an independent uh, at the first debate, uh, what, what I was saying back then was, you know, these guys are pledging their allegiance to Trump. The, the pledge is, 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 was the best for Trump. I mean, he was at that mm-hmm. point had led virtually every poll down and up and down the line. And there was all this, you know, I mean, it just it just seemed to me to be a to be a big miscalculation. You know, Rick, Rick Wilson, you seem to be kind of where P.J. O'Rourke is. I don't know if you saw his column, but he said essentially um, that, that he was voting for. Uh, I hope I have this right. He's voting for Hillary Clinton because she is the second worst person on the planet to be president of the United States. You know, the, the, and she just happens to be running against the first worst person. Now, it's a slight exaggeration, but but. But, but there are a lot of people that are profoundly unhappy with both of these choices. You know, in 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 our uh, most recent poll, um, well, no, actually, if you look at the even the Quinnipiac polls that, that showed uh, Trump, you know, with a fighting chance in in those three battleground states: Pennsylvania, well, Florida, yeah. and Ohio. E- even in those polls, if you looked. You had over 60 percent in all three states saying that they do not believe that Hillary Clinton is honest and trustworthy. And you had well over 50 percent who said they didn't believe that Donald Trump was honest and trustworthy. So we have two candidates uh, where a majority of voters say they don't trust them. They don't find them honest. How is it in this environment that there isn't a stronger movement towards a third party? I think it's maybe that's a subject for for another podcast. But uh, but I imagine I know you're trying to drum one up right now. Um, but it does seem to be remarkable that if there was ever a time for a major third-party movement, you would think it would be now. There, I, I think that is, that is a fundamental question that, that underpins this entire situation we find ourselves in right now, is, is given the scope and the severity of the problem, why is it that, that we haven't seen more people come out of the woodwork? And I'll tell you it's twofold. On the Democratic side, it's because the Democratic Party has become incredibly procedural and ossified and back to where they were kind of in the 70s where it was a it was not a system that that rewarded uh, anything except you know marching through the ranks and that's where hillary is uh bernie sanders is kind of a good steam valve and a distraction for them but but you know it has always been hillary's race to lose and she's she's at this point not losing it because of superdelegates and because of the procedural way the democratic party is built on the republican side the bad blood in this enormous field and a series of, of, of unfortunate mistakes and misreads and errors on the part of every single one of these candidates that was in the field against Trump and their, and their teams. You know, everybody's made plenty of mistakes, but the bad blood has remained between all these different groups, and nobody else could really come together and, and build an alliance right now because, you know, Marco and Cruz world are fighting, and, and Bush and Marco world are fighting, and Bush and Cruz world are fighting. So all these, all these tensions that existed in the campaign never got, never got resolved. And, and so Trump, you know, he hacked the system using that in part, but, but there's, no, there's no singular leader right now in the GOP who is willing to stand up and, and, and take this on against Trump. They're all playing out their 2020 scenarios yeah. right now. And like right. I said, everybody misread things. I, I made one, I, 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 you know, false modesty is the worst kind. 
I've understood the Trump voters and the Trump movement and all the and all the media role in the Trump thing. I made one big misread. I thought that the candidates would get the joke early, and I wrote in Politico in July of last year, these guys are going to figure this out and they're going to light Trump up because when he's when he when he's when he's new to this, it's easier to take him out. They never did. It's amazing. Well, they and, did, but it was after it was too late. They did after he had, he had basically That's wrapped right. everything up. All right, Rick, yeah, guys, we... I, had a, I had a slide in my donor pitch last year, mm-hmm. and it said, and this is from August of last year, and it said, we can spend tens of millions of dollars now to take out Trump, or you can spend hundreds of millions of dollars to try to take out Trump in the spring of 2016, or you can spend many billions of dollars trying to fix the GOP once he destroys it. Maybe, maybe, maybe so we're, that's, we're maybe. in option three at this point. <laughs> that's where we are. All right, Rick Wilson, thank you for joining us on the Powerhouse Politics Podcast. And we'll we'll, we'll talk about this again. And when you've got that name for course us. Of course. Uh, we'll, you bet we'll, you. We'll, we'll, you'll be, you'll be yeah, on, you my, uh, find you'll on my distro, guys. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Rick. Thank Thanks, much, guys. Rick. Bye-bye. So, Rick Klein, you know, we're, we're, this is a, a fascinating uh, inflection point for the Republican Party because you have so many Republicans that are genu- genuinely fearful that being tied to Trump is going to hurt the party, is going to, uh, like you hear from Rick Wilson, you know, and it's going to cost them Senate seats, maybe even control the Senate, going to cost them House seats, maybe even control the House. And you also have some of the same people, frankly, that, that are that are worried that a fight with Trump would actually be worse. Yeah, and that's the battle line right now, and it's an actual d- division in analysis. It's not just that, you know, unspeculated fear. People don't know what Trump is going to mean. He has broken every rule. He surprised everyone at every turn, and ourselves included, uh, Rick Wilson included. No one, no one has really seen this coming and, and what it means. And yeah, you can make a valid argument um, in, in either direction, and no one knows because we're just such an, an uncharted territory. But to have this fight play out right now, John, I wonder if this actually isn't in a way good for the Republican Party to have this kind of division, to have Paul Ryan out there publicly questioning. It has two effects. One is you give other members of Congress cover to to voice their own concerns if they think in their district that it's going to raise it. And the second is maybe you have an impact on Donald Trump. You know, I talked to Reince Priebus after that meeting and he said, you know, Trump himself realizes that he needs to moderate things and, and change the tone a little bit. And if they can change Donald Trump a little bit and sand away some of the edges, plus give their members cover, maybe it won't be the worst thing in the world if uh, you know, if, if you went a couple of weeks in May without that party unity, if it means that the party can be more comfortable about its nominee uh, at, at the convention and beyond. OK, so before we close the show off, and, and by the way, we should remind everybody that uh, if anybody has questions they want to submit for the Powerhouse Politics podcast uh, to tweet at us at hashtag Powerhouse Politics. But, uh, Rick, when will Paul Ryan endorse Donald Trump. And let's let's have a little contest here and we'll see who got right. Maybe we can come up with some kind of a some kind of a wager. Uh, Ooh, I like this. Yeah, I like this. Yeah, so give give me a give me a date. July fifth. Right after the fourth of July. I don't even know what day of the week it is. I should probably look it up before I give you <laughs> unspe- <laughs> boundless uh, speculation like that. Uh, it's a Tuesday. Perfect. A Tuesday, July 5th is, is, is my date. You can take the over-under on that. It's before the convention. It's before in all likelihood he has he's chosen the running mate. Uh, it, it is a while from now. I mean, it's a good it's five, a six time. weeks from it's now. It's a long time. Yeah. Uh, you know, but, but I think it allows a process to play out. And I think 
I think as long as Ryan a little bit holds his tongue and Trump holds his tongue, they can move toward that process and, and get to the place where I think, I, you know, the other, the other thing is, John, I mean, there's an element of pantomime to this. I mean, I don't know anyone who seriously doubts that Paul Ryan, Darrell Issa included, that Paul Ryan will ultimately endorse Donald Trump. And as you Part pointed out at the press conference, what's the difference? Exactly. What if, what's he going to do? What else are you going to do? But, can't, uh, but I mean, I'll take the over. Not keep the job. I'll take, You'll the, take over. the over. Yeah, I, I think, I, and, I, and you, you went for a late date. I think it's going to be even later. I think it's going to be that. closer to the convention. I would not be surprised if he waits until the convention itself to formally wow. endorse Donald Trump. And part of that is I can't imagine the press conference where he comes out and announces an endorsement. That's a oh, hard that's a thing point. to imagine. He would have to walk away with a pound of flesh. He has to walk away with some specific commitment on a policy area where Trump you know, either it contradicts himself on entitlements or the Muslim ban or some some major you know, victory for him to walk away from what he has said over the last week or so that he's not comfortable doing it yet. And, you know, and I don't I just don't entirely buy this. It all ended too soon for everybody. I mean, we've known for a while now. Like, what a that shock. Donald Trump. Yeah. Donald Trump was going to be the nominee almost certainly. But, you know, even I mean, in you and I have been saying that since July, uh, roughly. Right. Uh, oh, definitely. Yeah. If we've, we've, only, we've been consistent on this one. Our good friend Matthew Dowd would, be, yeah. would set us straight on this if he were with us today. But yeah, I, yeah it's been not. clear for a while. It's not like, and the guy has gone out and he's made the case to millions upon millions of Americans that he should be the nominee. It's not like he has suddenly surprised everyone with this and people have known what his policy positions, Paul Ryan included. It doesn't mean Ryan doesn't have a right to, to try to, to get him to change some things. Um, and I think there's a limit to how much he can insist. But to pretend like this is a this is some shock to the whole system and, oh, my goodness, how did that possibly happen? I think there's an element of, of a charade behind that. But I think I think part of that it becomes the endorsement. And it will be a major moment, another major moment for Paul Ryan, for Republicans when they're finally on board. They go in with that energy into the convention. And then uh, we have a fun fall. OK, well, uh, we're all ready. All right. That is it for Powerhouse Politics. I'm Jonathan Carl. And I'm Rick Klein. And we'll see you again next week. Next week.